Parenting is hard work. It's not just the endless to-do lists. It's the exhausting confrontation of who we are, how we grew up, and what controls our decision-making. It's also the concerns we have about the world and how we prepare our kids to be a part of it. Balancing cultures much? Callie knows these challenges very well. She is the mom of a non-binary child. But her story does not start there. In this episode, we talk about the evangelical culture she grew up in, how she confronted her upbringing by embracing feminism, how feminism then fits into her life as a military spouse, and how she channels her mix of Midwestern values and feminism into parenting a non-binary child. Yeah, it's a good story. For resources and related episodes, check out the show notes on balancingcultures.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content. And if you like what you hear, leave me a tip through Buy Me a Coffee, link on the website. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Cultures. Well, today we're going to talk about parenting a non-binary child. But first, I want to understand who you were leading up to kids and leading up to your child's, can we call it a self-discovery timeline? I was trying to find the right words for that. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with it. Okay. Because I believe the culture we were raised in and then the one we built for ourselves before kids, because they're not always the same thing, mm-hmm. can impact and support how we then parent. So let's get to know you a little bit. I'm going to ask the classic question that most expats hate. Where are you from? <laughs> We do hate this. With that, what culture did you grow up with? So I grew up in the Midwestern United States, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, with a few years in Florida. My dad's job moved us around. And a lot of Midwestern values, the older I've gotten, the more staunchly Midwestern I've been proud to become because there are really lovely things about being Midwestern, being open, being friendly, helping people out, just... Yeah, a lot of things that I want to emulate for my kids and I want to to give out to my community. At the same time, I was raised in a very small evangelical Christian community. And that's the one that I've changed a little bit. But I grew up in this small evangelical community. And those same values were there to a degree, along with some other values that I maybe don't hold so closely now. So you said what you were raised with, which was this evangelical. Yes. You were raised in, would you call it a strict Christian environment? Definitely. It was, um, I think that it was all encompassing is a good way to say it. So in addition to being strict, it was all that I knew. I was homeschooled and hung out with other Christian families. I was, went to church multiple times a week. But all of it was, that's all that you knew. And so it was strict in beliefs um, about what you wear, about the roles of men and women, which Mm. was a really big thing, um, about your political beliefs. And I don't know that they would have said it that broadly. I wasn't in churches who who preached that super strong. But there was definitely this idea that these are the values we hold in my church, and those will carry over into the way that you vote in some really specific ways really strong ways. And that, and along with that was the idea that other people were wrong. 
And so what I didn't really get was this idea that there was another way to look at the world or that all of these issues held a flip side that I wasn't really hearing. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And so what I'm also hearing is that the environment that you were raised in wasn't open to hearing how other people do things or think or or live their lives. Yes. Yeah. It was open to hearing them as long as then those people were receptive to change to align with us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Everyone was um, a potential convert is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to look at it. And so something that I've had to work hard on as an adult is to get to know people with no expectation that they will change mm. and and to see the beauty in different ways to do things. Not that I don't have strong opinions, but to kind of let go that side of me that that still feels like I need to evangelize people, not to Christianity, but to whatever my current belief is. <laughs> it's hard. A lot of these things that are rooted in us as children, it takes a lot of energy and intentionalism to kind of break the chains from that habit and that thought process. But, right. Because it's yeah. so natural, you don't realize. Yeah. It's a reflex. Yeah. Yeah. But you have changed a bit because if I think about the person I'm looking at on social media, compared to what you've just told me your childhood was like, it's a little bit different. Your Instagram handle is actually, this is what a feminist looks like. <laughs> and you post a lot of things in support of marginalized groups, including the LGBTQIA+. So my question for you and I, I get this a little bit from you, is were you raised to be a vocal advocate or did that kind of become a part of you through other experiences? Both. So yeah. in the Christian world, we are raised to have really strong virtues and to hold to those. And there are all these Bible stories of people who had a belief and no matter who disagreed with them, even if all the other people in their crowd disagreed with them, they held true to what they knew to, to be right. Yeah. So in a sense, that's there. And in the other sense, I'm using it in a completely different way than the Christians who who uh, taught me and poured into me through Sunday school and through all different ways, through mentorship. I'm using it in a really different way than they would see as appropriate. And also in the evangelical world, women's voices are really stunted and they're... Um, they're edited and they are, mm. it's not that women don't have a voice in the way I grew up in, but they're watched so closely and they're picked apart and they're given, you know, 10% of the conversation, maybe. And so in that sense, being a vocal woman who goes against, even while I was in a church, goes against the things that are being preached from the pulpit, that's definitely opposed. But I started my Instagram, I think it was, gosh, seven years ago, I was still in a church. I was slowly awakening to this idea of feminism decades later than lots of American women. So I want to make it really clear. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of silly that I was doing this Instagram handle acting like, hey, let's show another way to be a feminism because so many women in America were far past that. Yeah. But in my circle and in my own journey of self-discovery for being a feminist, it was a big thing to declare myself to be a feminist. It was kind of shocking. The word feminist was the F word, right? Being a feminist was, they assumed all kinds of things about you. So to be someone who is toting around a two-year-old and a diaper bag and saying, yeah, I'm a feminist, 
was pretty shocking. And that's what I wanted my Instagram to do to show I'm at the park with my kid. I'm a feminist. I'm not all of these images that you've built up in your head of this evil anti-men, anti-men, harsh, cruel, whatever. And I will say now where I am on my feminism journey, I see reasons that women have been those ways. And so I don't want to, I don't want to within my own feminism, be anti-women and say that they're the wrong kind of feminism. There's a spectrum here. I understand their anger, but that's kind of where I started. That That's where I was at the beginning. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that some of the communities that I grew up in, feminism was an F word. You know, if you said you were a feminist, it was this radical, it was super radical. And it was like, you were far on one end of the spectrum and you were loud, opinionated in the wrong way. Yep. And if I can go back to the other thing you said about women being edited, given room to have an opinion about prescribed topics. Yeah. Yeah. And with a set script. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you can be loud about Jesus. Oh, girl, yes. <laughs> exactly. Like there is this idea that as long as you're in this exact, as long as you are agreeing with us on these topics, and as long as you stay on this script, use your voice, use it proudly. You can repel people, right? That's the idea that if you're saying the correct things, it's okay to repel people. But when you're using your voice differently and the people you're quote unquote repelling are the people in your church, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah. And then another culture that came into your life, because I you didn't say that you were raised with a military family. Were you raised military? No. no, I was raised moving around, but just for my dad's job, not military. Same. My dad was in the tech business. So we moved off for that. And everyone was like, are you military? Because you've lived in like four states. I'm like, no, tech. Military is the easy answer, right? I always say, like, I kind of wish we were just because everyone would stop asking questions yeah. then. But-, <laughs> but you married into military life. Yep. Which is its own culture within the American culture. And what can I say? I think because we're already on this path, I'll go ahead and say the things that uh, living internationally now, I see more. And it's the Hmm. assumptions people have about military families. And I'd love to hear your opinion on this. It's that military families are conservative, that they are religious, and that they are typically aligned in in one political direction, which is often anti-LGBTQIA+, and anti-a lot of other marginalized groups. And so, one, your thoughts on that. And two, what is it like being a feminist military wife? I know, that's that's a big topic. <laughs> it is a big topic. I'm trying to work out in my head how I'll do it. I think I'm going to go backwards. I think I'm going to start with what it's like to be a feminist military spouse and go backwards. Okay. I think it's easier than you'd think because I think people's assumptions about the military are, from my experience, people's views are not correct. Okay. Now, just to be clear, my husband has been for 10 years. We are in the Air Force. He's in a specific career field that happens to have, I would say, more liberal people. So I'm not trying to say that every person in the military um, is super liberal. But you're right. The assumption is when you walk onto a military base that everyone is, everyone is religious. Everyone is just on the right side of any political issue. And that's not at all what we've found. I think that that assumption persists because 
the side of American culture that is very vocal about supporting the military is the right side or the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Now there's complications in there. And I've written about this before that, that we can say you support military families, but let's actually break down what that looks like because oftentimes you're voting for things that hurt us or you, you want us to represent you and your view of life, but you want only the straight white male Christians and you're leaving out other people in the military. The military is incredibly diverse when you actually look at it. And all of that, all of those different groups of people bring into it their own background. And you can just find, you know, a extremely fundamentalist Christian with even more, even more strong and strict beliefs than I grew up with working alongside someone who is gay and they have to work together. And, you know, the military also was one of the first places in United States history to integrate and it took work and it wasn't always easy, but they did work through those things. So in our experience, the military has been much more diverse. We've had my husband has had commanders, has had coworkers who are gay and lesbian themselves. We've known trans service members. We've had commanders who fight hard, right? When there was a, a trans ban in the United States mm-hmm. and they were talking about kicking people out. We had commanders who said, I will do everything I can to protect my trans troops before they are kicked out. I will put my name on the line. And I think even in the even in the community, you will find people who are quite conservative, who hold beliefs really strongly. But you find a lot more people who just have general values of service, service to our country, service to others. And I think we're seeing that really well right now on our base. You see people who have really strong values of these American ideals that I feel have gotten twisted of life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. But it's not liberty to make someone else's choices. It's liberty for Colin Kaepernick to bow his knee. That mm-hmm. that we want to be in a country where people have the right to express those opinions. And so you will always find military spouses with narrow views. And you'll also always find ones, maybe not as loudly, who have <laughs> much more diverse views. And I think that for me, I am the loud voice, right? I am willing to say these things on Instagram or in communities I've gotten louder at, at events, just raising, you know, hey, let's change our language from wives to spouses or whatever it is. But I think a lot of people have these beliefs and maybe are quieter, but that doesn't mean that their beliefs are any less strong or less important or less less a part of our military culture. So what I'm hearing is, these misconceptions about the American military do come from somewhere and it could be from the history of what it used to be, but it is becoming much more diverse. And there are people, military spouses, we'll say, (laughs) who go all along the spectrum from fundamentalist to completely liberal and feminist and, and everywhere in between. And maybe they're just not as publicized as some of the more extreme loud views that often get put on the news. Yes. But the other voices are there. And you're feeling, as a feminist military spouse, that you have a place, that you're not the odd person out, necessarily. No, I definitely don't feel that way. Not at all. Um, Yeah, I think that that there are really loud voices that co-opt other military voices. 
But more than that, I feel like most of the people who have strong conservative views about the military, in my experience, aren't actually part of the military. Mm. They are people on the outside who are putting on their own views and taking military service and, and adding words or adding adding a narrative that the military members themselves, I don't usually see perpetuating. And you just mentioned what's currently going on where you live, and we didn't mention it, but you are um, on the air base of Ramstein in Germany. Yep. And while we are recording this and the week or two that have led up to this recording have been one of the largest airlifts in U.S. history. That's right. But you and other military spouses and everyone working on the space has been doing an amazing job, regardless of how you feel about the politics and how things have been handled. You are there to support the people that are coming in and out of your base. Yeah. So in case someone's listening to this later, yeah. the United States, after 20 years, has decided to leave Afghanistan. Yeah. There are lots of feelings on that. But along the way, we are trying to get out as many people, as many Afghan nationals as we can. People who worked faithfully with our government, with our military, who protected our military, people whose families are on the line because they work with us, people who we spent 20 years saying women, you have a voice, you get an education, all these things that we've been saying for 20 years. Now, in a very short amount of time, we are trying to get on as many people as we can. And there's no way that like this would have been crazy no matter what, but it's because of timing and decisions that were made. It's especially crazy right now. And so, and so they're walking on a plane, people who've never been on a plane are walking on a plane, getting off and saying, where are we? We don't know where in the world we are. And so to have them come off and be able to offer them a blanket and shoes and a teddy bear for the little ones and get the mothers the things that they need, it's been an absolute honor. And I would say a huge thing with that, while we're talking about this idea of where the military stands on things is our wing commander, the, the man who is in charge of, of our base. That's the easiest way to describe it for yeah. non-military people. His attitude has just been amazing the whole way through. And one of the decisions he made at the very beginning was to call them our guests. Yeah. And I think that that attitude has just permeated through in all things, that we things are not ideal and we're not able to give them everything that we wish we could give them. And yet by calling them our guests, we are going with an attitude that we want to welcome them and we want to serve them and we're going to do what we can and we're going to do it with the best attitude possible. And I think that this was the time to put my my money where my mouth was. I've always said that we should welcome refugees. Right back to that idea of evangelicalism. I always said if there was a chance for me to stand, for me to say that these values matter to me, I'm actually going to show it no matter what, that I would do it. And so these two weeks have been a crash course in that. So back to the question I said, were you raised to be a vocal advocate or has this become a part of you? Um, yes and yes, and now you've proven it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Before we move on to the second half of my conversation with Callie, I want to review a few vocabulary words around gender. First, 
Gender expression is how a person publicly expresses or presents their gender. This can include behavior or outward appearance, such as how they dress, their hair, makeup, body language, and voice. Gender identity is a person's internal and individual experience of gender. It is a person's sense of being a woman, a man, both, neither, or anywhere along the gender spectrum. Trans, also transgender, is a person whose gender differs from that that was assigned at birth. And non-binary, a person whose gender does not subscribe to society's idea of the traditional man-woman gender binary. If you would like to hear about these terms and other vocabulary around gender in more detail, please listen to episode 19 with Seth Day. For an extension of that conversation, listen to episode 19 part 2, Things You Should Never Ask a Trans Person, episode 20, One Trans Man's Story, and episode 21, How to Talk to Kids About Gender. But let's go ahead and continue the conversation with Callie. The next thing we're going to dig into is our main topic, actually, which is you are parenting non-binary child. You supported your kids, both your kids, gender expression, even before Haddon came out as non-binary. Why was that important for you? So it comes back to this idea of feminism, right? Yes. That we put children in boxes when they're young and raise them from the time that they're little and say... We don't say that they have that the girl has to be a nurse and the boy has to be a doctor, but we push them into these roles. And so as I thought about raising children, I knew if I raised a daughter, I wanted to give her access to the wider world. I wanted to be careful with the ways that I labeled her, with the toys that I bought, with the clothes that I bought. And the inverse of that is why wouldn't I want to do that with a boy as well? Why wouldn't I want to do that with whatever child? Why do I want to, to put them in a box and then give them the script instead of giving them the choice to figure out who they are. And I, and I'll say it started out as a pretty basic idea to give my children both toys, right? To give my child both a firehouse and a doll. Why wouldn't we want, right? Why wouldn't we want boys to grow up to be good dads? When I see people talk about not wanting their boys to play with dolls, like do you not believe in tenderness? Do you not want our, Right. You're the same person who's complained that your husband doesn't change diapers. Well, when we give them the chance as children to explore all these different things, it's not just that we're giving them this idea of, you know, you can grow up to be to be a dad, but we're we're giving them access to a wider range of emotions and of play. And we're just giving their little souls more chance to to have a day where they're feeling tender and want to create a little baby doll and have a day when they're feeling brave and they want to dress up like a firefighter. Both of those I saw as things I wanted my child, no matter their gender, to to have access to. Yeah. Right. But for you and your family, it went from you being supportive of your kid's gender expression to one of your children coming to you with conversations about not just gender expression, but gender identity. How did that conversation go? That conversation was all Haddon. But we'll back up and say, right along the way, as Haddon was little, and this was at the beginning of my journey with feminism, we did just give you options. You can wear, right? Pink is for everybody. You can wear pink. These toys, anybody can play with these toys. And then along the way, I started 
meeting more trans and non-binary people and reading more about trans and non-binary people and wanted to give my children the words for these people and wanted to give them words for this idea that in the world, you hear a lot about boys and girls, men and women, right? Every time you go to a bathroom, you're confronted with a choice. The same with so many, at least in America, so many stores, there's a boy section and a girl section, same with toys. So I wanted to give my children this idea of there are options in there that we view this as a binary, we view this as two opposites, but really there's a whole middle in there. I didn't I don't think that I knew at the time I started using these words with my kids. I don't think that I knew that we were going to have a child who was non-binary. I knew I had a child who explored um, gender expression, who played around with things like that in a really fun way. But I, I don't think that I was, I don't think that I knew that. And yet, by giving my child these words to help them understand other people, it also let them understand themselves and gave them these words. And so Haddon, I don't share the specifics of it, but Haddon was the one who came to me and move this conversation along. And, you know, as a parent, I was instantly concerned with, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to mess this up? But it was kind of also lovely to see that we had given our child words that so many children don't have access to. And so they might be wondering about who they are. They might be confused or more than that, they might feel angry and frustrated because they're not feeling aligned with what everyone around them tells them, right? Every day, maybe at school, they're told to go to, to the bathroom with the boys. And every day they're, they're not, they're not given the words and they're not given the time to figure out why this doesn't feel right. And so it was an honor that we were able to deconstruct our views because again, my husband and I were both raised in that evangelical Christianity and we could have come out with some extremely strict views on on gender and on men and women's roles. And so it was, I always just say it was such a grace that we were able to deconstruct those views that we were able to come around so that when our child came out, we were ready to be fully supportive, to be excited, to welcome them into our family, not as a new person, but in this new way and in this new way of understanding them. You say that you, of course, never knew that this was coming but you had had these conversations with your children and set them up for understanding in the case that they had people like this in their life and that they would know how to then better interact with people in bigger atmospheres and out in the world. And so they could be more kind and accepting of those people. But in the end, it also became useful to your family in particular did you, even after all those conversations and the deconstruction of the values and perspectives you were raised with, did you feel equipped for these conversations? No. <laughs> <laughs> even after all of that, it felt like, you know how parents freak out about doing the puberty talk, about bodies changing, about sex. It felt like the most extreme form of that of, oh my gosh, the stakes are so high. I never really had great words for this ahead of time. And now I have to explain it in a child's terms and try and not mess it up for them. I was so nervous. I was so worried about it. And also the thing from the beginning with Haddon and, and the non-binary journey to me, the two principles I keep coming back to are curiosity 
and kindness. Because I feel like we can't go wrong with those two things, right? If we go in with an attitude of, hey, I'm not understanding, what does it mean to you to be non-binary? Or, or how do you feel when this happens? If we go with that curious, curious idea, because even for you and I, both identifying as women, we can have really different ways that we identify as women. We can have that come out as different things. We can, different parts of that can feel really, you know, you might feel really strongly about one thing and I might not. And so this idea of going with curiosity of, of I'm not going to go in with, with a book, which I do, I've had really helpful books, but I'm not going to go in with a book and say, okay, this is the book. This says exactly how you're going to be as a non-binary person. Because one of the best things about non-binary and trans people is that there are so many different expressions of who they are and how they identify And I think that can make a lot of people nervous, even myself, because if you're trying to be careful, right, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. And yet if we go in with curiosity and couple that with kindness, right, curiosity alone can make someone feel like they're a zoo exhibit. They make you feel like you're staring at them. But when we couple that and when we marry it with kindness and with, I care about you, I'm here to support you, I'm curious about this. I think that those two principles, and and just to be clear, my child is not always open for for curious conversation, and that's okay. Yeah. Same with other trans and non-binary people. You might not be a person they feel good doing that, but I think that those two principles can guide so much in life, but specifically have guided me as this parent. Yeah. I think what you just said, quick, I want to do, I do want to touch on the curiosity thing. You are their parent. And so your curiosity is very different from someone outside your family being curious mm. and asking questions. And something that Seth said back in episode 19 as a as a trans man is your curiosity is not worth someone else's discomfort or their oh, privacy. Yes. Right? And so there's a graphic and I'll post it when I when we post this episode that he and I made together about like okay, kind of go through this set of questions before you ask a question. Like, can I google this? Yes. What am I really asking? Why do I need to know this? I love it. And so it's yes, you're curious, but your curiosity is not the top priority. Right. You know, it's different because you're their mom. Right. So you are allowed to have that curiosity and ask those questions because it's coming from a place of love and growth and connection. But anyone listening who has someone trans in their life, maybe ask yourself, do I really need to know this to be connected to this person and love this person and let them know they're listened to? Oh, I love that. Do you need to know all the details, right? Yes. Yes, I love it, Megan. It's so true because we don't owe someone a whole explanation on anything about us, especially gender, which for someone who is non-binary and trans, this is often, not always, but especially I'll talk for my kid, something that they're still working through and they're still processing and finding the words for. And, and you know, if someone asked me like, well, why do you feel like a woman? I have to be honest and say, I, it would be very hard for me to describe, right? Yeah. I know that I am. I don't have a lot of go-to words. And so if, if it felt like someone was interrogating me to like, well, give me the answer, give me the answer. So yes, yeah. as the mom, those are my attitudes. And I think especially as the mom, my goal always is to be Haddon's biggest advocate, biggest like person who loves them the most, who 
will go to any length to make them feel safe. And so these questions for me are, how can I help the world be better for you? Mm -hmm. You can hear I'm getting teared up. (laughs) Yeah. And what has helped you along kind of this journey with these conversations and in supporting your child? Are there communities, resources, medical professionals? What's helping you make that better world for them? I mean, all of those things. There are books about, you know, there are picture books about trans kids and non-binary kids. There's parent books for parents. There are so, so many generous and wonderful creators on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter who are just sharing what they know, sharing their experience. And by following those people, right, I'm able, better able to understand my child. And that's so generous of them. And then definitely therapists, my God, like (laughs) I'm a big fan of therapy. And one of the first things we did was get in touch with a therapist who specializes in trans kids and Mm. just get someone else who knows what they're doing to guide these conversations. There was nothing wrong. You know, I think we, we still have this idea that you go to therapy because there's something wrong. And there was nothing wrong. Our kid was doing great. We were doing great. But I wanted the expertise of someone who knew more about this. And yes, yeah, so we had a therapist there and have a, are working with a therapist here just to make sure that we can do things in the best way possible. Yeah. And, and as an aside, because I've worked with military families as an international school teacher, I know that children who have special needs, because I'm an academic support special needs teacher, mm-hmm are allowed to check before they are stationed somewhere to see whether or not there is medical support that they need for their child before being moved to that place. Were you able to look in advance to see if there was a therapist with trans education or trans specialization before moving to Germany? Not to Germany because Haddon came out after we were cleared to move here and all of that. But it's actually worked out beautifully as in the United States, many states are passing trans bans and trans laws, blocking normal things like healthcare, blocking trans kids from playing sports. As those have started and been rolling through the United States, we've been safely over here. And again, back to that question of the military, is the military supportive? Well, you know, our our, our therapist would say, the military has a long way to go, right? Like I can't give you everything I want to give you. And yet it's been a safe place for my kid, right? The rules at this school, our school principal, our school rules are there and protecting my kid. Whereas if we move to a lot of other states, we would be in distress right now. So mm-hmm. going forward, we will have that chance to check first and make sure, but but we feel really safely cocooned. Um, we have a great principal. We have really supportive staff at Haddon School. We have a great therapist here. We feel really cocooned at a time when when other states are feeling really scary and really hostile to my kid. And does Haddon go to an American school? Yes. Haddon okay. is in third grade at an American school. So it's all American. Te- well, we have a German teacher who comes in, but mostly yeah. American teachers, American staff. And then I also have, I need to mention, a kindergartner. Whose yeah. name is Adelaide. She would like to be mentioned. Hi, Adelaide. <laughs> she will love that Megan. Um, and so she also goes to that school. 
Very nice. It, it's just interesting because when we were doing kind of some pre-interview uh, messaging back and forth about what cultures we wanted to touch on and what's a part of your story, I asked if you would want to talk about what it's like to have a trans kid in Germany. And you don't really have a, a perspective on that because you guys are a bit in a, in a bubble, in a little American bubble within Germany. Yes. I think mostly, yeah, we're pretty cloistered here, especially because of COVID, right? We just were not getting out to do things. And when you did go to a park, everybody stayed far apart. So I've had conversations with a few German parents, but mostly, mostly people assume Haddon's gender. And at this point, Haddon doesn't always want me to disclose. So we just kind of go with what they assume. And so very often, you know, Germans will call both of my children girls. They will use, um, you know, she pronouns. And Mm -hmm. because we're not in a long-term relationship with them, right, it's usually someone in a store or quickly at a doctor's office. Because of all those things, we we just usually let it slide. But I have had a couple conversations with parents at the park. And, you know, it did come up one time or I think twice. And the parents were so kind and interested and, and asked me questions because they, you know, I'm thinking of one in particular, she had a, a two-year-old girl and she was like, I see all the limiting things that our world puts on girls. So I love this. Yeah. I'm not going to say everyone would be that way, but some people have been. You said that hadn't came and had this conversation with you after you'd already planned to come to Germany. How has life changed for you as a parent? Because it sounds like life has changed in a lot of ways because you had an international move. We've had a pandemic. There's a lot of other factors going on. And kids grow up and you change how you parent in general as they age. True. But have there been any specific things for you as a parent now as a parent of a trans non-binary kid that have changed? I would say I need to be a lot more trusting of other people. And that scares me. I don't want to trust other people, but I'm putting so much faith into the world that my kid will be safe and protected and that Mm. you're going to be having conversation with your kid to prepare them for meeting me that I have to trust when I email a principal and ask the question that I have to ask to keep my kid safe at school, that, that his or her response is going to be kind and gracious or that he's not going to shut me down. And and I, as a person who likes to control all things and who doesn't, <laughs> who doesn't, I don't like to say I don't trust people, but also I want to control everything. So I think that means I don't like to trust people. Like I just want <laughs> to control everything. I want to, as, as that kind of person, it's been hard and it's been hard to know who right? When do I disclose this? When do I not? And then to mm. wait and see see how they react. And, and I want to be clear, I am the parent of a trans kid. And I have a lot of privilege as a cisgender, a person whose gender or whose sex assigned at birth matches the, the gender that I know, now feel like. I am not trans. I am not non-binary. And I, I know a little taste of it, mm. a tiny taste of it. And I also know how hard it is for me to watch my kid and to wait and see how someone's going to respond. And that trust as a person who likes to control has been something I'm still working on. Is there, I mean, all parents have a level of fear 
Anytime our kid is out of our control, especially those of us who love control. Hi, welcome to the club. (laughs) Was fear something that increased? Is it something that, yeah, I don't know how to phrase that question. I just think you're mentioning like, when do I disclose this information to people? It's just another added thing as a parent to consider and to calculate in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say that fear is increasing with age. The older Mm. children get, the weirder people are about gender, the more aggressive kids get, right? We all think of middle school and we think of all the things that go on there. And there's a reason we think those things. And, and I'm not trying to shame middle schoolers, right? They're figuring things out. They're working through a lot. There's a lot going on. But also the idea of in not too much longer putting my kid in there with kids who have varying levels of kindness. And, and maybe that means that they're not experiencing kindness in their own home. Maybe that means that, that they've been raised with super strict ideas of gender. But the older my child gets, I definitely have increased fear of, of, for their safety for their safety and their emotional well-being and their friendships and all of those things. And we've been so lucky by having tremendously supportive friends, friends who are, you know, one of the stories I write about, um, I wrote about on Instagram a long time ago was when Haddon was in kindergarten. Another kid was asking and Haddon's little friend fiercely said, Haddon can wear what they want. (laughs) And it was so lovely to see like this, you know, none of us moms were around. We heard about it later, but to hear this, this kid fiercely defend my child. Hmm. But the older kids get, the the harder it is, right? We think it's cute when a little kid walks around in a Superman costume at the grocery store, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that's cute. And the older they get, the less acceptable those things come. And, and I'm not trying to say that being trans is like a Superman costume. I'm just saying, I think that our tolerance for people acting out of their gender norms, we fear it a lot more the older they get and we have less tolerance for it. How do you prepare for the future then? Oh, I don't know. As as the parent of a non-binary kid, do you keep your circles closer? Do you are you more selective of of playdates and after school activities and things like that? I don't know what's gone through your head. I mean, that's hard as a military family, right? We move, so if we were just staying in one place, it would be a lot easier to say, okay, we're going to go to school with this group of friends. We're going to do these activities where we know it's safe. You're going to keep moving up to high school. You'll graduate with the friends that you were in fifth grade with, and they know you and they trust you. But we're we're moving, and this is an ongoing conversation in our family. Is this the right decision for us? How is this working out for us so far? Um, I don't know how you do it because I'm in the midst of it. I'm doing my best and, and I, at this point, what I believe is that I can get for all the kindness and love into my child. I can make sure that they have access to a therapist and do all of the hard work that we all need to do, right. To dig into our own, our own self and our own upbringing. And even if I'm trying to be a good parent, there are of course things about it that Haddon is going to, react to or you know I think that we all need to go through therapy for our own childhood no matter how good our parents are and I can also make sure that I'm being an advocate and that I'm I'm 
I question a lot. Should I be writing? Should I be talking about my child on the internet? And I went over this with one of the therapists I saw. And she also said, I kind of assumed she was going to immediately say, yeah, that's a terrible idea. You need to stop. <laughs> and her reaction was, you're advocating. You're showing mm-hmm. your child what it means like to, to declare that they have worth and to expect other mm-hmm. people. And you're introducing so many people beyond the little circle that you know, you're preparing other families for one day meeting your, your child. And especially knowing the community that you grew up in, who I'm assuming you have connection with still, you're being a great kind of light for them to see something that might have been scary for them growing up or unheard of. Definitely. I think that we've we've lost friendships because of it, definitely. And that there are other people who are also fully supportive now, which I don't know that I would have predicted at the time, right? We a lot of us have moved on and and moved further in our belief. And then there are people who who are in the middle, who are not not rejecting us, not not being our friend, but still following along to the things about Haddon. And I and I hope that it I hope that it changes. And and I know that some of these people would never wish an ill thing on my child. And I hope that that carries over to things like when they're voting, right? When they're voting and their church has this scary story of a transgender person. I hope that that they're remembering all the posts about my kid and thinking of my kid when they're voting and when, when big decisions and big changes need to be made. Well, I think that leads nicely into a closing question, which is, what do you hope my listeners will take away from our conversation? I talked with Haddon about this last night because oh, <laughs> I always want to make sure that they're involved, that I'm right. I never want them to feel like I go on and just talk about it. I say, how do yeah. you feel? Are you okay with this? What do you what think? They yeah. So I said, why do you think mama does this? Why, why do you think I'm going on this podcast? And they said, I think you're going on to help other people. So they tell their kids about non-binary people and maybe their kids are non-binary and they'll figure that out because you said it. Mm. And I said, yeah. And I said, and then to help other people be ready to meet you. I want the whole world to be ready to meet you and to know how wonderful you are and to be receptive to that and to all the other people like you, be they adults or be they other kids. And that's what I want people to hear. And Haddon and I, you know, had a minute just to say, this is what we want. And and how it might change it as they grow up. But for now, that was the decision that we came to together, that we wanted people to hear. We wanted people to be receptive to non-binary people and to talk to their own kids about it so that hopefully there are more kids who can identify this way if that's if that's how they are. Yeah. We just want our kids to be happy, right? Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I'd love if there are any resources that have been especially helpful to you, people you follow, books you've read, kids' books that have been helpful for your family. I'd love to link those in the show notes to help people kind of take a step beyond our conversation and get even more information. Definitely. And um, tell both your kids, (laughs) Adelaide and Haddon. Hi, Adelaide. (laughs) Hi, Haddon. (laughs) Tell them thank you for letting me have a little bit of time with mom because it's been a lovely conversation. And thank you. Such a pleasure to be here, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. A big thank you to Callie for sharing her story. From evangelical upbringing to feminist military spouse and parenting non-binary, 
Please check the show notes for this episode on balancingcultures.com because Callie provided a great list of books for kids, of books for adults, and of accounts to follow that have been helpful for her. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Megan Kitchen.